Today we're in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm only going to do two verses today. So um, we normally stand and read the passage. Well, you won't have to stand very long, but would you stand with me as I read Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So we are, we've, uh, in, in this study of Galatians, we've moved into the application, or you could call it the ethical section. He's, he's telling us how do we live out now what he's told us, that our life needs to be by faith. We've already read through and, uh, and uh, studied his explanation of why the Galatian church didn't need to practice circumcision uh, because it would take them away from the sufficiency of what Christ had done for them. What Jesus did for on the, us on the cross was all that we need. We need to add nothing to it. He did everything. In fact, we can't add anything to it. It's in his righteousness that we stand before God, not our good works. And that righteousness of Jesus is what makes us able to be the vessels of the Holy Spirit. That's why he could pour out his Holy Spirit. He had to die for our sins, ascend into heaven, sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat in the, the throne of God in heaven so that we could be considered right before God and then receive the Holy Spirit. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. It's interesting how, uh, you know, we study uh, the Bible in different, different Bible study groups and our Wednesday night group has been going over John 17 and how these passages just all kind of fit together. And sometimes I'm just amazed at how, wow, that, what a coincidence that this fit with that. And of course, God's sovereign over everything, so he plans it all. But then there's also the fact that every theme in the Bible connects with every other theme in the Bible. It's hard to take anyone out and set it by itself. So it's not surprising that these would fit together. Jesus' prayer in John 17 focused on two things that we need. His, his, it's like his final main prayer for us in scripture. And it was praying for us to be sanctified and unified. That, that our lives be holy and that we be united together in one purpose, in one mind, in one heart. And those are our greatest needs because our old nature is so self-centered. It wants to be by itself, my way, me individually, and do my thing. Sanctification continually crucifies that old nature so that we can serve one another in love. Only then can we be united in our mission and build one another up. Verse 17 again, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, 
flesh I need to define in this case is, is the unredeemed nature of in, in Christians, which is a waiting transformation that we will experience when we see Jesus face to face. We, we have crucified ourselves with Christ when we come to him and receive him for salvation, but we also crucify our flesh daily. So it's, a, it's something that happened in the past, but it's something we also need to do day by day, every day. According to our Jewett, the flesh was Paul's term for everything aside from God in which one placed his final trust. I think of it as patterns in our minds that we developed before we came to Christ. It also implies the human impulses that we have that are ungodly. The unbelievers may you know, may be disappointed in their behavior, their conscience might bother them, or, or even they may feel the conviction of God upon their life of, of their sin. Addicts are often frustrated with their inability to change, but it's, it, that's true of just about every kind of sin. But the war within that Paul's writing about here in the Christian life is on a whole nother level. When a person's in Christ, the Holy Spirit and the old nature are continually at war with one another. And as young Christians, we find our old nature keeps us from doing the godly things that we feel the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do. Either we are selfish with our time or we're worried that, that we might embarrass ourselves. But as we mature in Christ, we learn to yield more and more to the Spirit of God. And we're increasingly enabled to reject that old nature, the flesh, which is the ongoing process of sanctification, rejecting it increasingly. Even when walking in the spirit becomes our normal way of life, we can never let our guard down. It's not like we get to this point where we, um, what some people refer to as entire sanctification. The enemy of our soul never gives up. Thank God the spirit is without a doubt more powerful than the flesh. We only need to remain in him. We just need to stay in Christ, abide in him. As Jesus said in John 15, Paul describes this war that he was experiencing in Romans chapter seven. And I'm going to read verse 23. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He knew right from wrong in his mind. He, he actually loved the word of God, but his soul was in bondage to sin. And while he describes it as his members, meaning what makes up his body, the body functions at the behest of our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions or we could call it our heart. These are the members in which sin dwells. If we're in Christ, our spirit understands the will of God and prompts us to follow what we understand from God's word. But we can reason our way out of it because of a desire in our soul that longs to be expressed in our body. Both natures present a promise to us. 
and only the new nature directed by the spirit is telling the whole truth. The old nature is never honest about the consequences of disobedience. Paul calls it deceitful desires. You know, it always promises but never quite fully delivers and it never lets you know the full consequences of the action. It offers momentary thrill, a release, or a sense of, of pride in oneself. Uh, and the author of Hebrews calls it the pleasures of sin for a season because it's always limited. Paul contrasts the two ways of life in Romans 8, 5 to 7. He said, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. One nature leads to death, and the other to life and peace. One refuses to submit to God's word, the other gladly does so. Paul describes his battle in, in Romans chapter 7. The old nature is focused on the temporal and and satisfactions that quickly fade, but the new nature is focused on eternal and things of a heavenly nature. One lays up treasures in heaven and one lays them up on the earth. Each is fighting to take our souls, to rule our soul, but only we can decide which we will live in. The grace of God will help us make the right choice if we are willing. The battles decided by which we are abiding in, the flesh or the spirit. Hence, resisting the flesh isn't just about willpower, but the spirit's empowerment. In fact, it's not even about overcoming the desires of the flesh with the spirit's help, but rather the spirit wins the victory and we simply march under its banner. The spirit keeps our flesh from doing what it wants when we walk in the spirit and abide in Christ. But if we walk in the flesh, it will keep the Spirit's desires in us from coming to pass. And there's no, no really, no middle, middle ground. The most dangerous place in the battlefield is no man's land. Uh, for those of you who are young and don't know what no man's land is, it's the, you know, they would dig trenches on each side of the battlefield and they would fight out of those trenches because it's hard to hit anybody in the trench. But every once in a while, you'd run out to attack the others. The land in between is no man's land. That's where you're really in trouble. And when you try to straddle the two, the flesh and the spirit, you're really running into no man's land. When people try to live in the middle, they make themselves a target. It's important to realize that we can't choose both the flesh, and the spirit. One will dominate the other. New believers can waste a lot of time trying to figure out how to have both, but that ends in the flesh prevailing. We tend to pray that, that God would help us overcome a temptation when all we need to do is follow the spirit's leading. God gave us the help when he filled us with his spirit. 
We just yield to him and follow his lead and watch him be victorious. If we don't have confidence in the power of the Spirit, we end up signing a truce with sin and try to live in that no man's land. But we quickly realize it's not a safe place to be. And the battle only intensifies when we're there. The discipline of the Lord often comes into the equation to help us realize the need to return to walking in the Spirit. So how do we walk in the Spirit? That's the answer. That's the answer that Paul's presenting to the Galatians. But how do we do that? Romans chapter 8 is Paul's answer to this internal war that we experience. We already saw in verses 5 to 7 that it's partly in the mind. We need to set our minds on the Spirit. Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians that we have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You know, right, right now in the news, there's all this talk about uh, screening the refugees that we're welcoming in so that we don't end up welcoming terrorists into our country. But do you screen your thoughts? Because they can be little terrorists. They want you to set your mind on the things of the flesh. In other words, to occupy your mind with ungodly thoughts so that negative thoughts so that you begin to walk in the flesh instead of the spirit. Last week we, we talked in the previous passage about giving Satan this uh, foothold, a, a beachhead, space in your mind. And that's what, that's what the flesh wants to do. It wants to, to occupy territory in your mind to push the spirit out. If you carefully screen your thoughts, you can quickly recognize those thoughts that aren't of God and reject them before they go further, before you start to contemplate them. They focus on anything that's going to distract you from the Spirit's direction and from glorifying God. Some are obviously not godly, but other times they seem harmless in themselves, and yet they're distracting you from the things that are eternal. Capture those ungodly thoughts and make them obey Christ. Paul gives another helpful point a few verses later in Romans 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Our body has life through the spirit of God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, that he is the life, the spirit of God in us. He's the life of Jesus in us. It's his power in us that enables us to put to death the deeds of the body so that we might live. The psalmist also gives us instruction on how to be victorious in this war. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we memorize and meditate on the word, the Holy Spirit can bring it to our minds when we're tempted. Memorizing God's word is one of the best tools of the spirit to keep us from stumbling into the flesh. And that's why Paul tells us in the letter to the Colossians to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. He writes in chapter 3, verse 16 of Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The other helpful instruction in, in this particular verse for walking in the Spirit includes teaching and admonishing one another. We were just talking about that this morning in the Bible study before the service. And we're going to get to more on that topic of admonishing one another in the next chapter of Galatians. But for now, consider this teaching one another. We all have something to teach. And all of us have a lot to learn. Amen? We can teach from experiences that God has brought us through. In other words, our testimonies of things that we were just, Luke brought that up just a minute ago about what has God, how has God been faithful in your life? We need to share those testimonies. And we can teach what we've seen from the Lord in his word. But we have to take time in the word to let us, let it speak to us and apply it to our lives before we can share it with others. People say they, they I'm not a teacher, but this passage tells us to teach one another in all wisdom. If you learn something from the Lord in his word, it is in all wisdom. The next admonition in that verse is to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness. Whenever I'm struggling with my flesh in the car, and traffic has a way of stirring up the flesh, amen? I mean, you experience that too, don't you? I turn on the Christian radio and sing along. Because when you're singing songs of praise, it's really hard to stay in the flesh. It just pulls you out of the flesh. The spirit dominates when you're praising God. Praising God from a heart of gratitude will always get you back on track. You know, when you're down and you're just bummed out, just go and sing some songs of praise to God. It will always lift your spirit. Now, you won't want to do it because the flesh is in control at that time. But that call to do so is the spirit calling you to get out of the flesh. Now, those were a lot of points on walking in the spirit, but it's of utmost importance. Let me summarize briefly these key points. And there are others, but these are the key ones here. Set your minds on things of the spirit. Take control of your thoughts. Follow the Spirit's leading. Take your thoughts captive. Put to death the deeds of the body. Memorize and meditate on the Word of God. Teach one another, which means we have to be together so we can share with each other, and sing songs of praise with gratitude. Is this now just a new set of laws to replace the old laws? <laughs> no, this is a kind of chicken and egg first issue. Do, do you do these things to walk in the spirit or are those, these things the result of walking in the spirit? Yes. We cooperate with and submit to the spirit who does the work in and through us. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. John Stott argues that this uh, is a summation verse uh, statement that sums up verses 13 through 18 and should therefore be translated, since you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
That goes along with the confidence that Paul shared already in this letter regarding their salvation, that he knew they were hearing these words of instruction and that they were going to receive them. So he's summing it all up by telling them they don't need to listen to the false teachers, those demands that they be circumcised, because now they are led by the Spirit, which completely fulfills the law. Walk in the Spirit, and you fulfill the Spirit behind the law. Romans 8, 1 and 2 instructs us that in Christ there is no condemnation because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. The spirit leads us to act according to God's will. He's the same spirit who wrote the law and the law was given by the spirit for those without the infilling of the spirit. But now that the spirit has been poured out, we don't need those baby steps of do's and don'ts of the law. For the Spirit deals with each and every situation in accordance with God's will. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God, who enables them to crucify the flesh and thus fulfill the intentions of the law. The law can't change the heart, but the Spirit transforms our hearts. That doesn't mean that we never yield to the flesh, but rather that our lives are predominantly those led by the Spirit of God, who also immediately checks us when we're tempted by the flesh. Do you know what I mean by those checks? You just get that little feeling, uh-oh, this isn't right, I shouldn't be doing this, right? Or I don't think this is the right way to go. Um, Paul talks about it uh, this lack of peace in your heart, that the Holy Spirit is the umpire in your heart telling you whether something is right or wrong. It's truly a war against two opposing forces. In fact, Paul writes to Timothy that to be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. During the Vietnam protest era, some of us are old enough to remember that, there was this song, War. You remember that? What is it good for? Absolutely nothing, right? Huh. Well, this war we experience is worth fighting. This is a war that we should be fighting. It's good for something. But we must understand we can't fight it like we fight other battles. Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5, the weapons of this warfare, our warfare, are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We've talked about some of the Bible pointers for walking in the spirit. But this verse brings up the fact that we can't fight the way we fight physically, physical wars, because our battle is spiritual. It's in the spiritual realm. We have, it, the verse declares, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. Those are issues in our hearts or in our culture that are ungodly. And the world argues, though, they're just fine. You should accept them. They're, that's okay. But in our personal lives, it can be like addictions, even simple things like food or entertainment, things which are not 
ungodly unless we're trying to fill the void in our hearts with an excess of them. Then there are those that are clearly ungodly, things that we try to justify in our minds, such as alcoholism or pornography or cheating on our taxes or greed or selfishness with our time. But what Paul told us in Galatians 5.16 is that the spirit is absolutely more powerful than the flesh when we choose to walk in the spirit. The key to victory is to yield to our Lord's mighty power. The arguments and lofty opinions are destroyed by the truth of the word of God. We need to be in the word, though, to recognize the truth. These two verses, uh, our text for today, have so much to say to us. That's why I want to take the whole sermon just for them. They declare the state of the believer in our current struggle, but they also tell us of the freedom of not being under the law or condemnation. Realizing we're in a war is where we begin when we're saved. And then we learn how to battle spiritually. Most of our battle is right inside. I often say it's between our ears, but it's also in our heart. We would do well to take regular inventory of how our personal battle is going. The longer we're in Christ, the easier it is to think that we've come this far and that's far enough. Complacency can be one of the greatest dangers of a longtime believer settling for where we're at. There's always room for growth. There's always room to be more like Jesus. Amen? If we're not actively resisting evil and eagerly seeking to do good, then we've settled down in the world and quit walking in the Spirit. We should pray the psalmist prayer each night from Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Scary, scary prayer to pray. Search me, O God. Search my heart. Show me where I need to change. Show me where I'm failing. Show me where I need to grow. Show me where I can be more like you. Show me where I'm resisting the Holy Spirit. For the young believers, especially in our world today, the fruit of the Spirit, self-discipline, needs to be carefully exercised. You know, our world today is just filled with entertainment that takes us away from filling our minds with the Word of God and taking time to fellowship with one another. We have a world full of faces fixed on screens. Amen? But even those can be used for God's glory and your growth. Use a Bible app. Amen? Download Christian songs that move your heart. Build playlists for when you battle. Playlists for worship songs when you, when you need to just praise God. Praise songs when you need to lift your spirit and focus on Jesus. When the, what the enemy means for evil on these screens, God can use for good. We need to use it in a godly way. Amen? Amen? Walk in the Spirit and you'll be led to do what you need to to become established in the faith. 
Why would we join this war? Those who decide not to are captives and don't realize it. Why not, as in the Matrix movie, take the green pill and just forget about it and enjoy it all you can? Because it's a lie. This world promises everything but only delivers in little parts of temporal pleasure and a whole lot of consequences that are always worse than you imagine and cost you more than you ever want to pay. And when it's over, we face judgment. Freedom, peace, and joy in Christ now and forever is infinitely better. You are loved. Jesus died to set us free. Bishop Walsham Howe describes the four states of man in this war. He writes, in the first state, state, there's no struggle because the evil held undisputed sway. That's our life before Christ. We just give in to evil. It might bother us a little, but we just keep giving in. In the second state, there, there was a struggle, but it was the helplessness of the natural man striving in vain to fulfill the law of God. That's when we, we first start getting convicted by the Holy Spirit and even when we first become a Christian. In the third state, there's, there's a struggle too, but now it's the grace and power of God striving in us against the rebellious nature which before held us captive. And that grace and power gained the victory. I hope that's where most of you are right now. And in the fourth state, there's again no struggle because the battle has been fought and the victory has been gained forever. No more foes to oppose, no sins to do battle with, a state we may not look for in this life, but it shall be reached by all who persevere. Our brother Tony reached it. A little while and the last struggle will be over and then rest, peace, joy, glory, and victory. And for those of you who chose to enter this war and fight with everything within our power and the power of his might, know that the war is not forever. That final stage is coming because the Lamb has secured the victory. Amen? In Romans 8.23, Paul tells us that while we groan inwardly now, we hope for what we know is coming, the redemption of these bodies. Our glorious hope is to see our Lord and be transformed. The war will be over. Our body, soul, and spirit will be blameless. We will be the bride of Christ, radiant and without blemish. Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Hallelujah.